Paige was a fun little girl, full of life and a little mischievous, probably like some of your own daughters and nieces, or maybe just like you. And Paige was just a child when she met him. And just a few years later, she would be dead. This is the Red Justice Project. Hometown hero, lost alive. It feels so good to be back, don't it, y'all? And with a brand new intro song from Dark Water Rising, I mean, how fabulous are the vocals of Miss Charlie Lowry? Um, if you can, please take a listen to her music. It's really good. We hope y'all like it, but honey, we had us a good long break, didn't we? I got so many messages asking about when we were coming back, and I started to feel kind of bad. One girl even told me that she had listened to our podcast twice because she missed it so bad. I'm sorry to say, but I did enjoy interacting with y'all, but I did not feel bad at all about <laughs> taking a much-needed break. Um, because as many of you know, you know, this is something that we just do on the side. So it felt really nice to step away from the project for a little bit, but I am excited to be back. So what's been up with you, Brittany? Well, I started a new job at Duke as a researcher and I'm about, well, I'm about to go to Disney World. If y'all are listening to this on that Monday, I'm going the next day to Disney World and Universal Studios with my niece and nephew and my cousin. And it's been a long journey to get there because my little niece actually broke her leg last year. And we were supposed to go, and so we had to postpone the trip. And then um, we postponed it to January, and she broke her leg again, the same leg. And so it's been a oh a time trying to get there. So we are going. We are very excited about it. But yep. Okay, so for the next two weeks, do not let her go anywhere. Wrap her in bubble wrap. Yes, she cannot be harmed. I see. I was just with her yesterday, and she was. She did a cartwheel. And I said, stop that mess. <laughs> don't, you don't need to be doing nothing like that. But y'all just pray for her. She's a mess. But what about you? What have you been up to? Um, just living my life with a toddler who was only a few weeks old when we started the podcast. So it's crazy how much she's grown. And expecting baby number two in just a few weeks, which is really fun slash scary. So. Okay, but I have a great baby name suggestion. First name, Red. Middle name Justice, last name Hunt. Okay, I, I might could go with the red or the <laughs> Justice, but the last name, I don't know. Oh, okay, then I see how you want to do. Considering my husband edits the podcast for us, I think he would probably edit that comment out really quickly. He'll be okay. 
Um, so before we really dive into today's case, we have a few more um, updates we'd like to share. We covered Faith Hedgepeth's case as our season finale last year, and just three months later in September 2021, and right after the eight-year anniversary of her death, an arrest was finally made in her case. Miguel Enrique Salguero Oliveras was arrested after his DNA was collected when he got pulled over for a DUI. He's in jail right now, awaiting trial. And when I got that news, I almost shouted. I was just so happy for her family, but also wondering, you know, if this might make their pain even worse now, since they now have a specific person to channel their anger towards. Yeah, I thought about her family a lot, too, and I hope mostly they feel a sense of relief that they actually finally caught someone, and I can't believe... He was right there in Durham, just a few miles from where the murder took place, which is, you know, really crazy to think about that he's just been there the whole time. Right. And one of the less exciting updates, um, in one of our stories, we covered the case of Deborah Black Crow, and we just learned from her daughter over the past couple of weeks that her murderer, which was her husband at the time, has actually been granted parole by the California State Parole Board. So um, her daughter is actively fighting and trying to get in contact with the governor of California to make sure that he actually stays behind bars. So I'm not sure if you guys remember, but Deborah Blackcrow was actually pregnant when she was murdered. So not only did he kill his wife, but he also killed his unborn child. Yeah, which is just so unfortunate that he's been pardoned. So if everybody could just lend out your prayers and your thoughts to Deborah Blackcrow's family at this time. But without further ado, let's get into the episode. Okay, so our story begins in 2007 when Paige is just 10 years old. And like Brittany said earlier, a lot of people describe Paige as being mischievous and others described her as playful. In Lumbee, she might be described as being a little yerker. Or even a devil catching youngin, as my grandma would say. Honey, mine too. So yes, Paige was a very spirited and lively little girl and a little bit spoiled, but the beginning of her life was very tragic though because her mama actually died in childbirth. And if y'all didn't know, Native American women are two to three times more likely than white women to die in childbirth. So this is a lot more common in our communities, unfortunately. And without her mama around, Paige grew up really closely with her dad. And in all the articles I read, everybody said Paige was, was actually her daddy's favorite child, even though, you know, parents are not supposed to have favorites. And one of the coolest things about Paige is that her daddy was actually the chief of her tribe, and he's still very well respected in his community, too. I've always wanted to be the chief's daughter. I'm always wanting to be the chief. <laughs> Got tall. <laughs> I guess I could be your youngin' then, is that what we're saying? That's yes, not too weird, right? I'll adopt you. <laughs> Okay, so back to Paige. So she probably had a lot of perks from being the chief's daughter, I imagine. You know, the best beadwork, the elders might have taken her under their wing, and she even spoke her tribal language too, which I think is really cool. Paige has given me many matriarch vibes, and also we know that Paige looked just like her mama and was really close with her aunts, so they were helping to raise her too, and they taught her a lot about plants and farming too because most of her family farmed. And the area she lived in was kind of like Robinson County. It was pretty rule and her community was made mostly of other native people kind of like prospect for those of y'all from robinson county in north carolina and for those of you who aren't prospect is right outside of pembroke north carolina and the population is something like 99 percent native there 
When Paige was 10 years old, her community was kind of shocked because a group of white men moved right outside of their little town. It was shocking because they didn't have any ties to the community and the group was pretty large, but a pipeline was being built through Paige's tribal land, so they had set up this huge man camp and the men would be there for a few years working. And so Paige's community and her daddy especially were a little concerned. And they were especially concerned because one of the men who moved there was named Johnny Sampson, and he had a bad reputation in other towns, and they were kind of skeptical and nervous about him and some of the other men who also had bad reputations. And the man camps are basically like a group of trailers or temporary housing set up around a temporary work area. So for like the oil workers or pipeline workers like Johnny... And from what I've read about them, usually violence starts happening pretty quickly in the neighboring communities with the drastic increase in men moving there. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's what ends up happening here. So a lot of members of Paige's tribe are becoming victims of rape and sexual assault and harassment at this time. And, you know, before this, Paige lived in a really safe community where she could walk around freely with her cousins and play outside. But the assaults got so bad that actually some of the women in her community began offering themselves up to the men in the man camps to prevent the younger girls from being assaulted. That's really sickening and sad. You know, were police doing anything about this? So no, even though Paige's community was pretty much all native, the sheriff of the community was not, and none of the police were native. And her father tried to lobby the government for help, but nobody would do anything. And so the women and girls continued to be brutalized. And, you know, this is happening, continuing to happen today in Paige's community and in many others, especially where these man camps are. I was just about to say that a lot of Native women and girls are assaulted on reservations and police won't do anything if the perpetrator is non-Native because they will say they don't have jurisdiction on tribal grounds. But then the tribe also doesn't have the ability to do anything if the perpetrator is non-native. So a lot of non-native men, especially white men, go to tribal lands and commit these kinds of crimes because they know they can get away with them. Which is so true. And one of the weirdest things about this story is Johnny Sampson, who we mentioned earlier. So he's kind of like the ringleader of the men in the camp. And these men are not only sexually assaulting women, but they are also stealing from the tribal members and making threats. And around this time, in 2011, Paige is a little bit older, so probably around 14 years old, and Johnny starts spreading rumors about her. And how old is Johnny again? At this time, Johnny is probably about our age, so he's 31 or 32. Wait, so he's a 30-something-year-old grown man making up rumors about Paige, a 14-year-old child? Yeah, and it's super weird. He's telling people that Paige cooked for him and that she snuck over to his house and told him that her daddy and some other men from the tribe were planning on hurting him. And what does Paige say to this? Well, we don't know for sure, but I can imagine that she was probably mad and afraid. But Johnny lived like 10 miles away from Paige, and she obviously couldn't drive at age 14. So she had no way to get to his house to take him any food or message or anything like that. And her aunties and her daddy kept her at home most of the time since so many women and girls were being hurt. So her daddy is super pissed, like, Johnny, you know, why are you going around pretending like my 14-year-old child is visiting you and cooking and miss? And so her daddy confronts Johnny and, you know, asks, why are you talking about my child? But at the same time, her daddy's kind of fearful of Johnny and his group of friends who were all living outside of the town. So, you know... 
He's flipping on him, but also tiptoeing the line between making threats because even though the police refused to do anything about Johnny, they had no problem arresting any of the people in the tribe. Typical. So, after this, surprisingly, Johnny does leave Paige alone, and he keeps her name out of his mouth, basically. But, while her daddy was handling that, Paige actually had started dating a boy from her tribe named Colton. Colton was around her same age, they went to school together, and had known each other growing up. And they fell in love. Paige gets pregnant in 2012 at age 15. And you know, teen pregnancy is pretty common in Native communities, but 15 is still really young. You know, she's still just a baby herself. Yep, but from everything I've read, she really took to motherhood, and she ended up giving birth to a baby girl named Kylie, and Colton and her were doing really well at this time, which is unusual for having a baby so young. And while Paige is enjoying motherhood with her new baby girl, Johnny and his crew are still terrorizing the community, and the men in her tribe are basically saying, you know, the law won't do anything, the government doesn't care, so we're going to take things into our own hands. And so they begin working out a plot to attack the men and try to either hurt them or run them out of town. Which made Johnny and the other men pretty mad because they felt like they were running the place for years and made some comments alluding to, you know, putting those Indians in their place. And this is when the gang been working out a plan of their own. They were not going to allow any of the tribal men to attack them. They were going to strike first. So one day, Paige was home with her baby and Colton's brother, Jalen, was visiting. Colton had gone to the store to get some diapers. A few of the white men watched him leave and knew Paige was home with just her baby and Jalen. And that's when they approached the house, came in and forced Paige to leave with them. Jalen wasn't armed and Paige told him to just protect her daughter. And some of the men took Paige, but a few others stayed behind. And when Colton came back from the store, they murdered him. So at this point, you've got to be thinking, where are the police? Is the government not doing anything? And the answer is a big fat no. They basically claimed that Colton had tried to attack them and that one of them had killed him in self-defense. And what about Paige, you might ask? They claimed she went with them willingly and the cops believed them. They even told her family that they checked on her and she said she wanted to stay with them because they loved her. Which is just infuriating because that sounds so unbelievable to me. There's no way a 16-year-old girl wants to live with a bunch of older white men who kidnapped her, killed her boyfriend, and separated her from her family and her young baby girl. Yeah, and the story only gets worse for Paige because once the men kidnap her, they take her back to their place outside of town and at least one of the men rapes Paige. We don't know how many of the men were involved or how often the rapes happened. Yeah, when I read this, I just found it to be so traumatic. Her daddy and her aunties had worked so hard to protect her from this very thing, and the police totally failed her, and these men just came in and kidnapped and brutalized her, and then ended up facing, you know, zero repercussions. And I think we should also share something else that we haven't yet. This crew of white men had guns, and I'm not talking a few here or there. I'm talking they were super into guns and had hundreds of them and all kinds of other weaponry. And a lot of the native men had some weapons too, but not the kind that Johnny and his crew had. They had AKs, ARs, sawed-off shotguns, you name it, they had it. And Paige's community only had a few pistols here and there and some knives. So the possibility of ambushing Johnny and the other men was basically a death sentence. 
and they were told that if they tried to come and get Paige, they would kill her before giving up to them. And not only that, the men were threatening to kidnap more young girls, and they were saying that they would give Paige back if the native men promised to lay low for a bit, stop reporting them to law enforcement, and stop trying to get the government to intervene. And the tribe had also really been resisting the pipeline that was being built, so they wanted them to also stop those protests too because the pipeline was how they were going to make their money. So Paige continues living as a hostage with these men for months, with her community, especially her daddy, getting increasingly desperate to get her back. And another sick thing we know is that Paige wanted to be back with her family and her baby so, so badly and asked all the time if they would just let her go home. And she begged, you know, please let me go home. And not only did they say no, but they also told her that her father didn't love her because he didn't rescue her. And they actually staged like a fake rescue plan. So they told her that they had offered to give her back to her daddy if he gave them $1,000. And Paige knew that her daddy had $1,000. And then they told her that her daddy refused to pay the ransom, which is not true. So, But she didn't know this, so she sank into a pretty bad depression and felt just really isolated and lonely. And then one day she was spotted out in town. Not in her community, but at a local white church in the area. The men were apparently taking her to the church on Sundays, and that was one of the only times she was allowed to leave the house. Um, Other times she was just kept in. Which is just so creepy, right? Like, they rape her and then they take her to church? That's just really sickening to me. Yeah, and to make things worse, Paige wasn't Christian, so it's not like going to this church was like a place of solace for her. Most of the native people in her community weren't Christian either, so it's almost like they were trying to convert Paige. And then the men started using this, so the fact that they are taking her out to church as proof that she is with them willingly and that she wasn't being forced to stay with them. And then in 2014, when she's about 17, Paige actually converts to Christianity, and so I guess she gets saved at the church, and then the men start calling her Rebecca. And we didn't tell you this earlier, but Paige was actually named after her mama who died in childbirth, so it was really special, you know, that name was really special for her. And the men told her that since she had converted to Christianity now, she needed to let go of her past, her family, her mama, everything, and take a new name that was from the Bible. Okay, so this seems kind of like a cult at this point, right? I mean, the conversion, the name change, the holding her hostage, like something's just very wrong with all of this. Yeah, and honestly, y'all, things are about to get even weirder. So at around the same time, Paige, who is now known as Rebecca, gets married to one of the men who had recently moved into this little man camp of white men. And his name is James. And then very shortly after, she gets pregnant. My head is about to pure explode right now. So I know you are out there listening are like, what in the entire world is going on? I mean, she's only 17 years old at this point. She's already had one baby who she hasn't seen for at least a year. And that baby's father has been murdered. She was kidnapped and then forced to live with these men for a year. And now she's converted to Christianity, changed her name, got married and is having another baby. Yes, and thank you for that traumatic recap of the events of Paige's very sad life. But, you know, her new husband, James, seems to be, I don't even know how to put it, I I guess, quite the catch. Um, So remember that Paige is 17. Well, James is actually 29 years old. Wait, that feels really illegal. 
actually a lot of states permit child marriage. In North Carolina, actually, Governor Roy Cooper just raised the age that you can get married. Last year, in 2021, you could get married at 14, and now the age is 16, which is creepy still, but in 44 states, child marriage is still legal. There's only six states that require you to be 18. And between the year 2000 and 2010, 248,000 children got married in the U.S. And most of them, you can probably already guess, are young girls who are marrying older men, just like Paige and James. And in addition to James being the biggest creeper and child predator, he also sends out you know, some sketchy text about Paige and how he feels bad because he married a heathen. And he's just pretty racist in general, too. And how, you know, he can call her a heathen, I'm not sure. But, you know, it's like the he's the world's biggest heathen at that point, marrying a child like he did. And so remember, too, that Paige hasn't been able to see her family, her daddy, her daughter, nobody in almost two or three years at this point. So she asked her husband if they can please go see them, you know, just for a little while. And he surprisingly says yes, but he has one condition. He says that they have to go see his family first. And guess what, y'all? James's family was not from around the corner or the next state over. James is from England. So Paige and James and their new baby boy Thomas hop on a plane and head over to James's hometown so his family can meet Paige and the new baby. And they were only supposed to stay for a month, but a month turned into two, which turned into four, which turned into seven. And in the seventh month in England, in 2017, Paige has dinner with James one night. And just a few hours later, she vomits. And then she dies. She was just 20 years old. Some people believe she was poisoned. Some believe she died of an infection or had pneumonia. But we'll never really know. An autopsy wasn't done, and of course there was no investigation. Her father died one year later. Many think of a broken heart. He had not seen Paige since she was just 16 years old. Her tribe later tried to get her remains brought back over to America so they could bury her properly, but the English officials say they don't even know where her body is located. But now, for the finale of this crazy story, we have another little secret to let you in on. This did not happen in 2017, and Paige's name isn't really Paige. Her real name is Pocahontas. And I don't know if I should say gotcha or like April Fool's, but last year when Chelsea and I got interviewed um, or we did panels on MMIW, people would always ask us, you know, why is this happening to Native women? Why was the murder rate and the sexual assault rate so high? And to answer that, we can't start with 2022 or 1992 or even 1822. Our women were targets from the very beginning. So what's happening to our women now has been happening for over 600 years in the making. Literally, like as soon as Columbus landed, he started started a sex trafficking ring for indigenous girls as young as nine years old. And just like with Columbus, Pocahontas' true story doesn't get taught in schools. We're taught that she was the chief's daughter. She met and fell in love with John Smith. She saved his life and then married John Rolfe and moved to England and lived happily ever after. But her true story is so much sadder and more brutal. And so that's why we decided to retell her story today in a true crime format, while also changing up the dates and names a little bit to show you just how horrific her life was once the British came to town. 
And to me, finding out that Pocahontas was only in England for seven months before dying, there's something about that that's so eerie to me. You know, the fact that they were supposed to come back to Virginia soon, the fact that she never got to see her family again, the fact that she was raped and held hostage, all of that is left out of the Disney movie. In fact, the only part of the Disney movie that's accurate is when Pocahontas' daddy says this. These white men are dangerous. And just FYI, Johnny Sampson, who we mentioned earlier, is actually John Smith. James is John Rolfe. Colton is actually Cokelwum. We hope that you enjoyed this episode today. And we promise not to trick you for next week's episode. Uh, but most of the information from this episode we shared is from Dr. Lynn Wood, Custolo, and Angela Daniels' book, The True Story of Pocahontas, which shares oral history from Pocahontas' people, the Mattapanai. Tune in next week for the next episode of Season 2 of the Red Justice Project.